minister for the day. So Joelle, we welcome you. Thank you, thank you very much. Let's uh, leave that to the expert, right? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, yes, as uh, has been said, uh, I work with uh, actually GBUC, uh, which is uh, ministering uh, to students on French-speaking campuses, as you can hear from my accent. Uh, I hope this will be all right. I dug up my NIV. It's even an NIV UK version, so again, you will need to um, adapt at some point, but hopefully uh, the main point will be that we're here to listen to God together. Um, it's always a pleasure to be with you. It was a few months ago, no, last time, and uh, there is a sense of being back to a family. Uh, there are so many people here that are helping the work that we're doing with students, and I know there are a couple that are sitting here. Um, there are people that have inspired me. Thank you, Peter. Uh, it's, it's amazing to be back here to receive support from the community, but also from so many people. Uh, so thank you all. Um, Cecil and I, my wife and I, we had the privilege of going to Jakarta uh, this summer uh, for IFES World Assembly. So I work with the French speaking, uh, on French speaking campuses in Canada. Uh, you know IVCF working on the English campuses uh, in Canada. There is IVCF USA, uh, but there are the same types of movements all over the world. Uh, you have Compañerismo Estudiantil in Mexico. Uh, you have FES Singapore in Singapore. Uh, you have GBU in, in uh, French-speaking Africa and everywhere in the world. And so uh, all of these independent movements are uh, under an umbrella federation called the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, IFES. And so every four years, um, we get together. Uh, and so uh, this year, it was in Jakarta. So we were hosted by Percontas, which is the uh, Indonesian movement. And so we were all together uh, in Jakarta. And so I, uh, my first slide um, is, the first slide is the title, blessed is the one. The first slide is the official family picture of uh, IFES in Jakarta, and I'm somewhere there uh, on the left. <laughs> um, and so why am I telling you all of that? Uh, it's because the uh, Bible expositions were on the book of Psalms. So when Cynthia sent me the lectionary, and I spotted that there was Psalm 1 on uh, October 29, I knew that this was the right date for me to come and, and be with you. Um, because I have heard so much good stuff that any good thing that I'm going to, to say this morning comes from IFES, uh, the conference in Jakarta, any other thing comes from me. Uh, actually, it was a, a brother from Lebanon called Riyad Cassis who preached on Psalm 1 and 2, and so most of the good things I'm going to say this morning, uh, they come from him. Um, Psalm 1 is just a short... Uh, manual on how to live a blessed life, right? This is how I, I would summarize that. I counted 65 words in Hebrew or so, so it's, it's relatively small. And um, if we can move to the next slide, the, the, the structure um, is something like that. So it starts with, how do you live a blessed life? That's the title, that's the first line. Uh, and then we have a first idea, you know, 
what to do, you don't associate with the wrong people. It's in orange, like in a danger zone. Um, then what do you do? Then you do associate with God. That's a, you know, the, the, green, the green thing, the thing to do. Uh, and then we have a couple of images, the image of a tree, uh, and then the image of chaff, and then a recap or a conclusion, uh, a few lines here. Um, and so it is, uh, you know, this ABBA structure that we find everywhere in the Old Testament. So we know that we are on the right tracks. And so let's look at it uh, bit by bit or part by part. Um, if we can move to the next slide. Blessed is the one. That's the title. Now I think we need to think a little bit of what does it mean to have a blessed life. Um, there is a sense for me where, you know, the, the blessed life would be sitting on a sofa every day <laughs> with an unlimited supply of beer and chips. And I am watching TV and hockey is constantly here and the Canadians are always playing and always winning in overtime, right? We're, we're talking about the God of miracles here. Um, and so this could be a vision of what is a blessed life. Um, there is another one. Um, and I, I ask you for your forgiveness in advance. I ran my first marathon a few weeks ago, so I have to brag about it at some point, so it's gotta be done. Um, but it was weeks and weeks and months and months of training to run that thing. Um, and it was great for the first 27 kilometers or 28. It was pain for the next 10 kilometers, and it was extreme pains in the last five kilometers, right? I still remember kilometer 37. Um, it was hard, but it was worth it. And actually, I enjoyed it so much that I already registered for next year's. Uh, and so I would say when Psalm 1 says, you know, uh, blessed is the man, it's more of the marathon blessing than of the sofa blessing. Um, it's not easy, but it's worth it, and it's worth it a million times. Um, and so what not to do to live this blessed life? Um, easy, don't associate with the wrong people. And, you know, how many tragedies could have been avoided in our lives, in the life of our family, um, by just following this simple principle? Um, it's interesting, the wicked, the sinners, the mockers, don't walk with them, don't hang around with them. Um, in a way, don't let them influence your life don't let them direct you away from God. It's so simple, yet it's so profound. So if this is what we are not to be doing, then what should we do? Uh, do associate with God. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on his law day and night. Uh, it doesn't mean that we should be able to uh, tell the Ten Commandments off by heart uh, in the middle of your dreams, bonus point, bonus point if you can do it in Hebrew. Uh, I'm going to do something very French, so please forgive me in advance. But, you know, I'm going to rephrase that in a more complicated and more long and more confusing way than what it was originally, but hopefully we get an idea of it. Um, this is how I would paraphrase it. I want to soak myself in the worldview that God reveals to human beings throughout his word, the Bible, and the model or the person of Christ. And this is the big story, and this is the right perspective on the world. 
And that perspective on God and on myself and on the world completely transforms every aspect of my life to the image of Christ. My relationships, my character, my reactions, how I spend my money, my time, my career path, my dreams, my aspirations, everything. Um, in the previous edition of the World Assembly in 2019, our motto was my story in his story. God has the big story and the little story of my life can be part of that grand and glorious and magnificent story. And so I think this is what is implied when we read in Psalm 1 this idea of delighting and meditate on the law or the commandments of the Lord. Uh, live your life within that worldview, in that perspective, and let that perspective change and transform every aspect of my life. And at the heart of it is Jesus Christ, his person and his work. And obviously, we have the privilege of having a more complete vision of it than the psalmist because we have the story of Jesus, we have the gospel. And now we can move on to uh, the two images that are given as consequence of what happened if you follow these principles. And so basically, uh, if you follow, if you, if you soak yourself in that perspective of God, uh, you're like a tree. And I just want to make a few comments on that. Uh, first, a tree is the most common thing, right? Uh, anywhere there are human beings, uh, there are trees. Uh, there is a sense where a tree is solid and it's permanent. You know, if there was a tree here yesterday, most chances are there will be a tree today and there's going to be a tree tomorrow. Uh, but at the same time, it is not static. It's not a rock. It's, it's very much alive, leaves change colors, come and by by the season. It's growing over time, etc., etc. So it's, it's solid, it's permanent, yet it's alive. Uh, and uh, the other thing is that it's, it's bearing fruit. It's blessing us, others. Uh, animals can feed or we can feed on the fruits uh, and each fruit is a seed. So it has the potential of becoming another tree. And the last point I want to make uh, is, you know, what is special here is not the tree. It's the environment of the tree. Because it is planted by streams of water, then that's why the tree is healthy. Uh, so it's, it's nothing of, of its own merit. Uh, it's because of the favorable environment, which is so important in a dry country like Israel. So if we associate with God, this is the favorable environment that will make us healthy, alive, and a blessing to others. And then the consequence, the other image that we have is just the opposite, chaff. Uh, it's fragile, uh, it doesn't bear any fruits, a bit of sun on it and it's yellow and then it dies. And then, you know, we end up, and we can move to the next slide, uh, with a word of conclusion. Um, in a sense, God doesn't have to do anything to actively punish the evil ones. They put themselves in trouble. But God does actively take care of his children. And uh, Riyad Cassis, the one, 
the guy who was exposing Psalm 1 at World Assembly, and he's not the only one. He says, you know, this whole vision of things, uh, he called orientation. And we could summarize it this way. Uh, the sun is shining, the sky is blue, the birds are singing, life is good, uh, life is simple, and this is how we should go about it. Now, World IFES World Assembly in Jakarta, we weren't just sitting and uh, listening to preachers talking about the Psalms. Uh, probably the most interesting part was meeting people from all over the world. And um, I want to show you the picture of a friend that I met there. Uh, he will remain anonymous and you will understand why in a minute. Uh, like most good meetings, it started with me hanging around with my food tray. Uh, Cecil had a meeting on her own, so I was like, what am I going to do? And then I see this guy who is eating alone at the table, so can I join? And uh, so he was free and we started talking and, you know, who are you? What are you doing? And it turns out that this brother um, is the director of the, or the general secretary for the movement in Myanmar. And if you're like me, all I know in Myanmar, it, it's somewhere in Asia, uh, you can see from his features. And, you know, I was like, <laughs> tell me about your country, tell me about your ministry, tell me what happens uh, in this country, how do you serve students? And so here is, here is the story. Uh, and he started by saying that the country is governed by a handful of very corrupt, rich and old army generals. Uh, and he says, you know, we're among the poorest countries in the world, but the level, level of corruption is so important that any international help ends up being pocketed by the generals. Uh, so much so that the international community has given up helping us, because no matter the amount of money, it's just making, uh, it's not making any difference to the population. Uh, the other thing is that it is forbidden to assemble with a group of five people or more. It's considered seditious and you can be thrown in prison. So it's almost impossible to do ministry student in these circumstances. And we just try to encourage one or two students if ever we meet them. And then he, he continues and he says, in fact, there are absolutely no perspective for me, for my family, for my children. Um, it is so bad that I had planned to immigrate to the United States. Uh, I had been accepted by a theological school there, but when I applied for a visa, it was rejected. And that was three months ago. So I'm stuck with no hope, with no perspective and with nothing. Now, where is Psalm 1 in that situation? Doesn't it look like, like a useless, useless self-help book that's collecting dust at the top of the bookshelf? Doesn't it look like, like a remote illusion that has nothing to do with real life? It is interesting that not only my friend, but even in the Bible, we see that kind of utterly 
confusing and hopeless and senseless situations. And our New Testament reading from this morning has something like that in it. If you remember when we read about Thessalonians, uh, here is what Paul says in Thessalonians 2, verse 2. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. And so let's look for a minute at the situation of Paul when he comes to visit the Thessalonians. To make a long story short, Paul and Silas had been wrongly accused and got publicly beaten in Philippi. They spent the night in prison, and you remember maybe that the doors of the prison dramatically open in the middle of the night, yet they stay in prison. And because they decided to stay in prison, they save uh, literally and spiritually the life of the chief guard. And the next morning, they have to flee from Philippi to Thessaloniki, where they announce the gospel. Uh, and then the Jews of Thessaloniki start a public riot against Paul and Silas. So they have to flee again, this time to Berea, where they share the gospel. And then the mob from Thessaloniki comes to Berea and chase after them. So Paul has to escape and ends up being on his own in Athens, waiting for his friends. You can read a more detailed version in Acts 16 and 17. Um, but now the interesting bit is that all of that comes or follows from a dream that Paul receives from God uh, of a Macedonian who tells, come to Macedonia and help us. That's Acts 16.9. So it's almost like God is putting Paul, his servant, and his missionary friends in trouble. <laughs> uh, where is Psalm 1 in the midst of that chaos? Uh, this is what Riyadh and others call disorientation, where things don't make any sense anymore, where life doesn't look like it's making any sense at all. But it's interesting that Paul, in his um, letter to the Thessalonians, also has a list of the do's and don'ts. That is... Uh, bit like the Psalm 1. So what, do, what does Paul do? What, doesn't, what does he doesn't do? Yeah, how do you say that? Uh, when he's facing this orientation. So let's look at, uh, at uh, Thessalonians. So uh, we'll start with the, the things Paul doesn't do, uh, the ones in orange. Um, he doesn't do anything on error or impure motives. He's not trying to trick the, Philipp the Thessalonians. He's not trying to please people. He never uses flattery. He doesn't put a mask to cover up greed. Uh, he's not looking for praises from people, not from you nor anyone else. That's the things, the list of things that Paul doesn't do. And then what does he do in green? And that's on that slide and the next one. Uh, Paul and his friends, we told you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. We speak as those approved by God to be interested with the gospel. We were like children among you. We cared for you. We loved you. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. It's interesting that when we get to that portrait of the thing that Paul does and he doesn't do, uh, in short, he still acts as someone who associates with God. He still behaves, he still has the character, he still has the reactions, he still has the language of someone who soaks in the law of the Lord, in the worldview centered on God. 
life doesn't make sense. It's disorientation. But Paul perseveres in honoring God, in serving him, just like he would do in an orientation situation. And then in verse 8, on verse 8, uh, we have these few words, Paul delights, we were delighted in sharing the gospel and even, Paul is delighted, sorry, in sharing the gospel and even his life with the Thessalonians. And we have this word delighting, which is an echo, echoes the blessing of Psalm 1, blessed is the one. So in a sense, in the middle of the chaos that Paul is experiencing in Thessaloniki, he feels a sense uh, that sharing the gospel with the Thessalonians and being together in their hardship and their suffering, it's something precious. Uh, there is something greater and bigger than his personal situation or his personal circumstances. Um, in the midst of this chaos, while Paul persevered in honoring God and serving him no matter what, there comes a sense of the presence of God, of God's action in the middle of trouble. And so we come to the final step of our journey, orientation. Life is good. And yes, sometimes life is good and we should celebrate it. But sometimes we face disorientation. Life doesn't make sense anymore. Let's persevere in honoring and serving God. And in there, in the middle of this chaos, may we find reorientation, a perspective that God somehow, somewhere is still there and acting. And this may be something that we do see and experience. This may be an act of faith. I trust that God is still there and acting. As we were discussing, that evening in Jakarta with my friend, and we were pondering the situation over our meal. We came to the conclusion that this brother is, in a way, he's taking care of a tree. It's a very tiny tree, it's very fragile, it needs lots of care, the environment is incredibly hostile and difficult. It may be the case that he himself uh, will never eat the fruits from this tree. But the next generation, his children, they will be able to pick the fruit from this tree because of his own care and his own sacrifice. And if he doesn't do it, then the situation for his children, the situation for the next generation, the situation for the whole country will be even worse, even more hopeless. So I don't know what's going to happen to him, but I have a feeling that on Judgment Day, when we are all before the throne of God, this brother will be a hero of the faith. May his example encourage, strengthen, and inspire us. Amen.